This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Virgin cried when you were born, tears of joy and tears of pain, as heaven's angels watched in wonder. How could you, the ancient one, in the frame of man be bound, lying there with feet and hands fully God and fully man who could see and who could know you had left your kingdom's throne baby crying in a manger You had come to give your life As a holy sacrifice Nails will pierce your feet and hands For every heart and every
That was awesome. Thank you so much, Celebration Singers. Just uh, love being in the house of the Lord with you today and anticipating that God will continue to uh, be with us. Open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. It's just a short book, so uh, probably the best way is just go to the book of Matthew and then turn back left and uh, you'll be there. But while you're looking for the book of Malachi, and actually we're going to be looking at a verse in in, in chapter 1 and and then chapter 4, so just just keep it open there. But um, while you're looking for that, I I don't know what your favorite Christmas song is, but mine, at least when it comes to the non-spiritual Christmas songs, would be Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Uh, Unfortunately here, snow has become so rare and all we seem to have is wind, so we need to probably change the words to let it blow, let it blow, let it blow. Uh, but, but anyway, last week I was doing some research into America's favorite Christmas songs. I, w- I was looking for the rank of the song that will uh, kind of propel us into our lesson today, but, but it's something that has nothing to do with our lesson. I was, I was really surprised as to what at, le- at least this particular source said was the top Christmas song in America. Uh, anybody want to guess? Um, no, not grandma got run over by a reindeer. No, 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 no. But, but anyway, the, the, the most popular song, uh, according to this, uh, this source in, in America is, um, the Christmas song, which is more commonly known to us as, you know, chestnuts roasting over an open, open fire. But the second most popular song was, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Another notable Christmas song, um, you know, of course, this is on my mind. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's just in my dreams, of course. But uh, that came in at number eight. And this one really surprised me because I, I, I would consider this to be the Christmas song, Oh Holy Night. And it actually came in at number 22, which kind of disappointed me. Uh, but the one that I want to highlight today is the one... They came in at number 18. Now, frankly, this is not one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's okay. I don't hate it. I don't love it either. Uh, the tune doesn't rev me up very much, but the words are good. And so we need to sing it. But number 18 on the chart of most popular Christmas songs in America is the song Silent Night. Or, of course, when we sing it here in Cedar County, we add another syllable, Silent Night. Um, now, now, some of you may know that this tune was composed in 1818 by a man named Franz Gruber. The lyrics, however, were written by a young priest named Father Joseph Moore. And this song that Gruber and Moore comboed on would make its way across the ocean and weave its way into the fabric of our American Christmas tradition, not only in the church, but outside of the church as well. Now, when it comes to Christmas, I want to say that it's not just about a silent night. Rather, the story that leads up to the Christmas story that we know includes over 400 years of silent nights. 
Now, uh, to, to lead us into this lesson, let me give a quick overview of the Bible. And most of you already know this, but they say that we need to, as pastors, we need to repeat things about every 28 days, those things that are important because we have a tendency to forget it. But, but the Bible is separated into two divisions. You have the Old Testament, which is comprised of 39 books. You have the New Testament, which has 27 books, which means that the Bible is a collection of 66 books written by approximately 40 different authors spanning a period of about 1500 years. The Old Testament begins with the book of Genesis and ends with the book of The Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. As I said, Malachi has four short chapters. And it's interesting, in, in my private devotions, I'm, I'm actually working through the book of Genesis. Um, but this past week, I, I went back and reviewed part of the book of Malachi. And, and what I found fascinating, and, and I hadn't noticed this before, but, but it almost appears that, that Malachi and the Old Testament come to a screeching halt. Without any warning. It's like you're going along at, at highway speed and all of a sudden the brakes are locked up and Malachi and the Old Testament end just like that. No warning. In fact, let me read you the last two verses and I think you'll understand why I'm saying this. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's it. No gradual slowdown, no preparing the reader, no, no statement like pastors make, you know, a few minutes before they intend to stop, which really doesn't mean anything. But, you know, as we prepare to close or, or in closing or as we wrap things up, the Old Testament doesn't do any of that, doesn't say any of that. It comes to a screeching halt. Now, try to hang with me here. If you have your Bibles open to the last chapter of the book of Malachi and, and you turn to the next page. And unless you have a, a study Bible, like, like I do right here, uh, you'll probably have several pages of a commentary, but if you have just a typical Bible, what do you have after the old Testament ends? Well, probably at least some of you have a blank page and then maybe a title page and then the beginning of the new Testament which sometimes leads people to think that as, as soon as the Old Testament ends, the New Testament begins. But, but that's not the case. As we finish the Old Testament, we need to realize that the blank page dividing the Old Testament and the New Testament represents not just a day or even a month or even a year. Rather, it represents over 400 years. But not only that, um, it, it not only represents 400 years, but it represents 400 years of silence. As the curtain draws to a close on the Old Testament, God goes silent. There's no word from God. There are no prophets from God. There are no scriptures written by God. There is total, complete silence, not just a silent night. But 400 years of silent nights. So question, where did God go for 400 years? 
Did he just get so fed up with this sin-infested world that he walked away and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with those jerks for a long time. And then maybe slowly over time he got in a better mood and then he decided to break the silence and then sent his son Jesus. Is that what happened? And by the way, this is a pretty important question because we've all had our own season of silent nights where we seemingly lost contact with God. And so what God was doing during those 400 years of silence might give us some insight into what He is doing during those seasons of silence in our own lives. So here's where we want to go today. We want to work through two questions. Question number one, what was God doing during the 400 years of silence? Question number two, what are we supposed to do in times of silence? And let me go ahead and give you a key statement that will help anchor the rest of our lesson. Here it is. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. We will find that in those 400 years, God was silent, but he was not absent. Okay, let's begin our reading, and, and we will go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Uh, because before God goes silent, he gives a very important fact that he wanted the people to keep in mind. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads like this from the NIV, an oracle. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, here it is, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, obviously, the people didn't know that mankind was about to be plunged into 400 years of silence from God, but, but God knew. And so he wanted to embed something in their hearts. He wanted to embed in their hearts that he loved them. Now, I know today, because some churches preach exclusively about the love of God, and, and you know, he'll always love you, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less, and which, which is certainly true. But, but rarely do they ever mention the justice of God. And, and so sometimes we as pastors, and, and I'm even guilty, at times we're almost hesitant to talk much about the love of God. We don't want to be labeled as one of those preachers. But don't ever forget that, that God loves you more than you will ever understand. And God, knowing that there would be 400 years of silence, took this opportunity to say, don't forget, regardless of what happens, I love you, I love you, I love you. And by the way, God says the same thing to you today, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of the silence you may be feeling from God right now. Don't forget that God has loved you. He still loves you today. He will love you in the future. Whether you're good, bad, or ugly, He loves you. And all of the people said... That's Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Well, four short chapters later, Malachi ends the book, puts down his quill, the curtain comes to a close on the Old Testament, and God goes silent. So let's look at our first question. What did God do over the next 400 years of silence? Well, since during this time period, as I said, there's no recorded word from the Lord. There's no scripture to draw from. There are no messages from prophets of God. I want to take you to some actual and factual recorded human history. 
And I want to show you three events, and there were many more, but we want to look at three historical events that took place during those 400 years of silence that will give us some insight into what God was doing. Now, to set things up, during this period of time, when the Old Testament was coming to an end, there was a world power shift going on. Babylon was fading from power. Persia was coming to the forefront. Well, around the year 360 B.C., and actually it was, it was 359, there was a leader that came to prominence from the area that we now know as Greece. His name was Philip of Macedon. And he ruled about 23 years until he was assassinated. Now, now, Philip of Macedon, obviously, is not a household name. And, and if you like history, you might recognize his name. But otherwise, he's probably an unknown to most of us. But one of the things that he did was to unify a portion of Greece, which, incidentally, Philip of Macedon was right in the area where Gabe and Erica Waite are today, the country of Albania. If we go ahead to that map, uh, we, we can kind of see right there. Uh, so there's Greece, and this is the area where, where Philip of, of Macedon was, and, and he kind of unified that area. Um, now, the, the biggest reason that, that Philip of Macedon is, is, is prominent is history in, in history is, is because he fathered a son that did become a household name. His name was Alexander the Great. Now, when Alexander the Great appeared on the world stage... And, and by the way, I had a ball this past week researching. I, I, I'm so thankful for the Internet. Of course, if the Internet says that it's true, uh, that, that's a joke, by the way. But anyway, it allows you to do just extensive research so quickly. But I had a ball researching this. But when Alexander the Great appeared on the world stage, it, it became evident that he was skilled as no other in military strategy. In fact, historians say that the world up to that time had not seen a military leader or a military strategist like him. And even today, some say that Alexander the Great was perhaps the greatest military strategist ever. But shortly after Alexander the Great stepped onto the world scene, he decided to take on the powerful Persian Empire. And he absolutely demolished it. I mean, he smashed it. And he began a, a string of military conquests that were unprecedented in the history of the world. And, and it appeared that he would rule the world for many, many, many years to come. Well, in 323 B.C., Alexander the Great came down with some type of disease. And historians are unclear on what it was, uh, even though some suggested it could have been some form of malaria or typhoid fever. But on June 10th, 323 B.C., at the very young age of 33, Alexander the Great died. But before he died, he reportedly made this very famous statement that we've all heard. That uh, It was a statement that was witnessed by a man named Plutarch. And uh, Plutarch said that Alexander the Great wept simply because there were no more worlds to conquer. Now, while Alexander the Great was still alive, he did some very interesting things that, that showed us that as God was silent during this period of time, he was not absent. And he made some very important decisions that impacted the world for centuries to come. And the one decision that I want to mention is that as he conquered nation after nation after nation after nation, he said this. He said, I want everyone within those nations that I've conquered, which was pretty much the known world at that time, he said, I want them to speak a common language. 
If you remember from the days of the Tower of Babel, the nations had been plunged into different languages. But Alexander the Great wanted all of the nations that he conquered to be unified by a common language. And he felt that it would bring strength to his kingdom. And and he was right. When a country is divided by many different languages, it weakens the unity and the strength of a country. So he said, I want all of the countries that I've conquered to speak a common language and, and listen to what language he wanted that to be. He wanted everyone to be able to understand as well as speak the language known as Koine Greek. Now, in a moment, I'll tell you why this is such a huge deal. But until then, just remember Alexander's order to have a common language. And by the way, maybe this decision wasn't Alexander the Great's alone because the Bible says in Proverbs 21, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. So when it appeared that God was silent, yet he was not absent. And he was working and directing the heart of the most powerful man in the world. Let's keep going. And again, in just a moment, I want to show you how that decision by Alexander the Great contributed to the fact that you and I have heard the message of Jesus. But let me bring up a couple more things first. After Alexander the Great died, years and years passed, and another world power came on the scene, it was the Roman Empire. Now, when the Roman Empire appeared on the world stage, they did many things. But there were two things that are especially significant for our discussion today. One was what the Romans created, and they created a Roman military peace. And Rosie mentioned this in the Advent reading but a Roman military piece called Pax Romana. And this military piece allowed people to travel with a greater sense of security and safety. It had been dangerous for people to travel, and so they went about trying to make travel safer. But the second thing that the Romans did was to create a vastly improved and intricate road system and transportation system. That they went about to try to make travel easier. So not only could people travel safely, but they could travel farther and faster. And again, within these 400 years, there were many other things that took place. But these three things, the common language, the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace that allowed you to travel safely, and then the improved transportation system, will show us that God's silence was not God's absence. Now, how do these three things relate to the question, what was God doing in the silence? Well, let me answer this with an illustration. You know, we've all been to a play, Branson, wherever, a drama. And and uh, when it comes to the end of Act 1 or whatever kind of the major transition point, the, the curtain goes down. They announce that there will be a brief 20-minute intermission, and so we go into the lobby, line up, and get some popcorn and a Diet Coke or whatever. Well, after a few minutes, uh, you know, the lights start blinking a little bit, and everybody makes their way back into the auditorium ready for Act 2, and the lights go down, the curtains go up, and Act 2 begins. Now, while you were out there in the lobby getting popcorn and whatever, what was happening behind the scenes? Well, in many cases, they were rearranging the set. They were moving the props around. They they were getting the stage ready for Act 2. And in a sense, 
That is exactly what God was doing during the 400 years of silence. As the curtain came down at the end of the book of Malachi, signaling the end of the Old Testament, God took the next 400 years and began rearranging the world stage so that it would be perfectly positioned to welcome the coming of Jesus. And spread the message of his grace and salvation and forgiveness of sins to the entire world. And let me show you how. Because of those three things that I, I mentioned took place during those 400 years of silence. The, the common language. Uh, the safe travels. The extensive roads. As the curtain began to rise in the book of Matthew, the world now looked like this. A great part of the known world in and around the area of Palestine now at least understood and even to some degree spoke the language of Koine Greek. And this is so cool. Furthermore, do, do, you, do you know what language the New Testament was written in? It wasn't English, by the way. Surprise! It was written in Koine Greek. Which means that when Jesus commissioned his followers to go as missionaries to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, this means that they could be understood by most people. Why? Because during the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when God was silent but not absent, Alexander the Great ordered that everyone should speak a common language. And so if you happen to have a New Testament, a Greek New Testament like I do in my hand. It is a reminder that God was rearranging the world stage so that he could bring the message of Jesus to you. And you know what? This week I was studying, I was praying. and You know, Jim cried at a cartoon movie. <laughs> um, but there in my office by myself, I had tears in my eyes, but... While the tears were in my eyes, I had a big old grin on my face <laughs> as I realized that God's silence did not mean God's absence. But it gets better. Jesus is born. He lives a life that points us to the Heavenly Father. He dies on the cross for our sins. Three days later, He rises from the dead. Forty days later, He ascends into heaven. But then in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is given. Can, can I just say it this way? The Holy Spirit is unleashed. <laughs> and the early church experiences revival and they can't keep silent. And they take the message of Jesus and they spread it far and wide. And, and Christianity begins to explode with, here's a word, exponential growth. That, that just means big, huge, mammoth. It explodes with exponential growth. And, and here's the question. How was the message of Jesus able to be spread to so many places in a short period of time? Well, partially it goes back to Alexander the Great creating the common language. And then the Romans creating a vast road system within the, with the Pax Romana. And then Jesus' followers took the message of Jesus further and further and faster and faster 
Now, my point in all of this is that when the Old Testament came to a screeching halt, none of this was logistically possible. First, there was a language barrier. Secondly, traveling was dangerous and unadvisable. Thirdly, the road system was limited. It took a long time to get anywhere. But as the curtain comes down in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, God goes to work. And in silence, behind the scenes, he begins to rearrange the world stage so that when the curtain comes up 400 years later in the New Testament, the world is perfectly positioned for the birth and the message of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? But you don't have to take my word for it. We have an eyewitness account who put all these pieces together in that day. And this is what this eyewitness named Paul, the Apostle Paul said, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the right time came. Can I read it to you from the King James Version? But when the fullness of the time was come. Can I read it to you from the NIV? But when the time had fully come. At the perfect time, after the stage had been rearranged during those 400 years of silence, when the fullness of time had come, what does the rest of that verse say? God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. Why? Here it is, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. At the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, Jesus, to redeem us, to adopt us as His own. And because I don't know how else to say it, I just ask, isn't that incredibly cool? That's what God was doing during those 400 years of silence. Which also helps us to partially understand what God is doing when you find yourself in a season of silent nights. Many times God is rearranging the stage. He's changing circumstances on the world scene. He's moving the hearts of men and women. He's directing presidents and rulers, even if they're wicked. He's shaping kingdoms. He's shifting props around on planet earth. And And I can't tell you how that will look in your life. I can't tell you the details. I can't tell you when the curtain will go up and you will hear God's voice and feel God's presence again. But I can tell you this. God has a wonderful track record. He can be trusted. And just at the right time, in the fullness of time, the curtain will rise and you will be perfectly positioned to accomplish His will for your life. I'm trying to control myself here, folks. <laughs> oh, my. Thank God for his, for his unspeakable gift. Oh, we've got one more question to work through. And then we'll go home, maybe. What do we do during our own personal seasons of silence? And I'll just kind of cut to the chase here. Here's what you do. And write this down, or maybe it's already in your bulletin. When you hear God's silence, and maybe even imagine His absence, you know, a lot of times stuff goes through our mind. But when you hear God's silence, 
imagine his absence. You need to trust his presence. The 400 years of silent nights teach us that even if you don't understand what God is doing, you need to trust the fact that God is present. So how does this play out in your day tomorrow? Well, let me tell you how it plays out in mine. And just so you know, without making a big deal about it, I've been going through one of those seasons of silence in my own life. And you don't need to come to me and prophesy over me and say, well, here's what I see in your life. That's the reason. You don't need to do that. I've been here before. It's not the first time. Probably won't be the last time. And by the way, if you just quit polishing your halo long enough, uh, you would probably admit that you know a little bit about those seasons of silence as well. But as I hear God's silence and sometimes even imagine his absence, here's the way that I will trust his presence. Tomorrow as usual. I will come to my office around 5.45 to 6 o'clock in, the mo- o'clock in the morning. I will make my coffee and begin my prayer time. Those thing, things go together so well. Coffee and God, man, what a great combination. Great combination. I pity you if you don't drink coffee. And I pity you if you don't know God. But tomorrow morning I will spend some time praying and seeking God. I will pray for my family. I will pray for some of you. I will pray for the hurting. I will pray for those who are sick. I will pray for the missionaries. I will pray for some lost people. I will pray that God will give me wisdom. But then after my prayer time, I will open his word and I will ask him through his word to begin to speak to me and teach me and give me guidance for the day. And after that, I will go and have breakfast with my dad at the nursing home as I do every morning. And I will try to honor this man that has been such an incredible dad to me. And then I will come back to the church begin my work and study time and be here to serve God and serve people as he leads me. And here's what I've discovered. The reason I've told you kind of what I do, even when it seems as if God has gone silent on me and, and even when it seems as if God is absent from me, if I go into each day trusting his presence, I found that invariably in some way throughout the day, God will show up. Maybe he will show up through the words of a song. Maybe he will show up through the words of Scripture. Maybe he will show up through the words of one of our staff members. Maybe he will show up through one of you. Maybe it will be through a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. Or sometimes he even shows up through a check in my spirit convicting me of a wrong attitude or a wrong action. But I found that even during times of silence, if I trust God with his presence, he will invariably somehow, some way, at some point in my day, show up. And remind me that he's really with me. You know, the Christmas story says it so well in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And so when life doesn't make sense and... When we go through those seasons of silent nights, this one thing I know, the 400 years of silence leading up to that first Christmas, tell us that you can trust God. He used a wicked man named Alexander the Great, and he used the evil empire of the Romans to help move heaven and earth together to bring the message of forgiveness and the message of his presence to you. Emmanuel, God is with us. You can trust his presence. Oh, Father, we're so thankful that... You are trustworthy. You're an amazing God. You're an amazing Savior. 
Lord, thank you for the fact that your silence is not your absence. Lord, thank, thank you that even during those times when we hear your silence and we imagine your absence, yet we can trust your presence. And Lord, we trust your presence. I believe there's some people here this morning that are going through seasons of silence. And Lord, it's not just a silent night, but it's a whole bunch of silent nights. And God, I pray that right now they would begin to trust you with your presence. And Lord, that they would begin to look for those times throughout the day, whether it's just something in nature or something in the Word or a song, the words of a song or whatever, that they would begin to just have their antennas up and, and know that you will speak to them during those moments. And God, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Lord, thank you that even though you do go through those times when you say, I'm going to be silent, but yet you're never absent from us and you are with us. Lord, I want to pray specifically for those who are going through those times of silence that they would not give up, that they would not begin to doubt, but that they would just trust you. And Lord, that they would seek your presence and that you would be there and, and just with a little nudge and a little hug, a little embrace. And, and Father, that they would know that, that God Almighty is Emmanuel. He is with us. And so, Lord, as we leave from here, let us be encouraged. Let us be encouraged, Lord, that God's silence is not God's absence. And we can trust His presence. Thank you, Father, for being such an amazing Savior. We love you. We worship you. We adore you. And it's in your name we ask these favors. And all of God's people stood to their feet and said a big hearty amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.